Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. I saw healing, inner healing. I I knew this one high school gal who came from a family of five siblings, all different dads. She got raped by her stepdad when she was 16 years old. And as a defense mechanism, she would wear baggy pants and a big old hat, you know, looking like 50 Cent. And, and, and we, we were at a leader's retreat, and we had, we, were, we had a prayer meeting one night. And I saw her um, praying to the Lord and just the Holy Spirit showing up. And she took off her hat, she grabbed a pair of scissors, and she cut it in half as this act of God healing her. And she's changed so much. She's, you know, let her hair down. She's dressing girly. She's putting a little bit of makeup on. She's on staff with this huge native ministry. She's right now in the Hopi Reservation, which is considered the, the most unreached, the most traditional tribe in the whole U.S., and, and God has been using her. And our vision of natives reaching natives, um, we started seeing native students reaching their own and leading Bible study and reaching their campus. And so we had transitioned uh, by the sixth year of One Tribe. Uh, our, our students were graduating and getting older. Uh, many had transitioned out of college ministry, and everyone was scattered at different churches. And obviously, I knew that we needed a One Tribe church, but I was just thinking, who's going to be the pastor of it? Because it wasn't going to be me. Um, and I had a lot of reasons, and I want to share a few of those with you. <laughs> One, I, I thought, I'm not native. Um, that's kind of odd, you know, Korean guy among, you know, pastoring a native church. So I thought that was really weird for me. Secondly, and uh, I want to apologize in advance to the pastors here, but I just, two of my uncles are pastors, and I thought being a pastor is the worst career path you could ever choose. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've I, I seen their lives. Uh, who wants to get emails on a weekly basis of why your church sucks and why the message was bad, you know? So... I just didn't want that life. And then lastly, I, as I looked at myself and with all my insecurities, I thought, I'm not wired to be a pastor. I can't teach and preach like some of my friends that I know. Um, this is not for me. So Dave came out, and we were at a restaurant, and we had this conversation. And he asked me, John, what are you to your one tribe people? And I was like, I'm their college director. And he said, no, 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 no. What are you to them spiritually? And I was like, oh, dang it. Okay. <laughs> it's like a car salesman, right? <laughs> um, I was like, okay, I, I'm their shepherd. And he's like, well, why don't you be a pastor officially and start a church? And I was just so resistant. I disregarded him. Around the same time, my campus minister um, years ago also dropped everything to go to the Apache Reservation where Ethan is from for the sake of the gospel, and I had visited her, and we were having this conversation, and she said, John, why are you running? And I was like, running from what? You know, why are you running? Running from what? From being a pastor and starting a church. And I said, Paula, if God calls me to do that, I'll do it. I'll obey. But till then, um, I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. And sure enough, got a, got a hold of my heart, and obviously he called me, and now I'm here. <laughs> so, 
Hi everyone, my name is Ethan Amos. Um, don't start my clock yet, hold on. Um, I, uh, I got to thank um, Pastor Peter and his wife, how, uh, uh, oh, I guess, yeah, I was practiced this word like eight times, hospitable, yeah, they had been um, uh, to my wife and I, Lucy, their family has just been so wonderful. 
Um, it's been great. And um, uh, Stan and Faye, I don't know where you guys are at, but thank you guys for hosting us yesterday and introducing us to um, many other people who have been great. And I just have to say that this church has been so welcoming. Just the warm welcome has been received. And I'm very excited to uh, get to know you guys. and very excited to go back and tell um, our church about how wonderful you guys are. So um, don't start the clock yet. Um, John uh, painted a, a, a picture of me, um, some some good stuff, but in my testimony, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper just to be vulnerable for um, each of you to understand more about where we come from and um, some of the struggles that we face. Um, none of these struggles add to the validity of who we are, but it does show about how Christ has worked in um, each of our lives. And so I'm going to... Uh, I was debating whether or not to share what I was going to share, but I, I just was like, yeah, you know, what, whatever. Uh, I, I may see you guys again, but hopefully you'll forget. Um, all right, so I'm going to start my clock. Oh, don't start yet. Uh, John, John told he called me on Thursday because usually I just go and I, I talk and I talk and I talk when I give my testimony because I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and he was like, hey, you know, I'll give you 10 minutes. And he was like, oh, they asked me to go 20 minutes, but I don't want to go 20 minutes. How would I go 15? You go 15. So that was our deal. And then he, he changed it on the way in here. He's like, yeah, I'm doing 20. You're doing 10. And, uh, and so I practiced last night with the, the court team and shared my testimony. And it was like 17. I thought I could get away with that. but So I'm going to try to shorten it. So now um, my wife made me bring my, the, the clock up here. All right, let's start. Um, for, real quick, in order for you to understand my story, I feel it's uh, going to give you um, a better picture if you understand my wife Lucy's story, just because I feel that um, it has been a story of redemption for us. Um, and so she grew up in San Diego, California, next to Tijuana, the, uh, right at the Mexican border there. She grew up in a uh, um, home that culturally, at least, uh, went to the Catholic Church. Um, she often shares about how she was um, uh, abused sexually and how that um, turned into her searching for worth, um, attention, getting attention from guys and drinking and partying. Um, and so that was some of her context. There's a lot more to it. Um, but that was uh, basically some things that she had to overcome. And she got to college her first year um, and... Um, she met some of us from one tribe. We we uh, brought her over. Um, and this is how be- beautiful that I, I think that this story is because, you know, I, I lead a seekers group at the college, and I, I'm always, like, trying to figure out ways to, to share what Jesus has done and, and all the things, um, how wonderful and powerful he is. And uh, how, But Lucy heard the gospel story once at InterVarsity, and without asking any questions, she just stood up and gave her life to Christ. Um, and so I think it's just beautiful how God just allowed her. Was like, no, no I'm, I want her now. Let's, here, here's some faith. Believe in me. We'll do this. Um, so it's just really beautiful to see, um, to have been a part of that. Um, let me see. Uh, we, we were both uh, young. We were in college. We fell into sin. There's a whole lot of context you missed there, but... Um, and it really turned into uh, living in secret. And um, if any of you know what that's like, the, the amount of guilt and shame that can come from that is just uh, quite the weight to hold. 
Um, and so tried to honor the Lord. We split up, and um, it was she was going to seek the Lord, and I was going to seek the Lord. And I, I may or may not have believed that. I was just for me that was just something that I didn't know what to expect from it. And um, but you know, basically, we were made a, a informal plan to you know, hey, you go fix yourself with the Lord. I'll go fix myself. Um, so there's a, I'll get back to that in a bit. Um, my story, just to give you um, a little bit clearer picture, I, I, I want to first preface this by asking you not to allow these statistics, these stories to reinforce any negative stereotypes that you may already believe, that's okay, um, or all, uh, have heard um, as far as uh, Native people who come from the reservation, just because um, what God is doing there is, is uh, I, don't, I don't want the, the horrific stories and whatnot to take away from God, what God has been doing. And so um, I grew up in a, a town where um, from 2000 to 2006, they did a study on high school age students, which was my group. Um, and they found that the, our tribe was seven times more likely than any other tribe in the U.S., um, for males aged 14 to 24 to commit suicide. Um, and 14 times more likely to commit suicide than any other race in the U.S. And for me, I, I, don't, want you, I don't want you to let those statistics slip away as statistics. Um, because I know about five of them. And gosh, they have names and stories. Um, so when you hear those stats, I want you to hear stories, and I want you to, to understand that these are a group of people that have hit the wall of hopelessness. And every single person at one tribe knows someone who has committed suicide, attempted suicide, currently thinking about suicide. And so it's, uh, hopelessness is, is, seems to be um, everywhere. Um, I was a, a, a half-breed kid. My dad was white, a little bit Apache. My mom was Apache, a little bit of Mexican. But my dad grew up on the res, even though he was white, and so I was this light-skinned guy. My, I didn't know my white side of the family too well. Um, I grew up on the res, and so I was this light-complected kid surrounded by a bunch of dark-complexion kids. And so I was the white kid in that equation. I, was, uh, I grew up in that context, and I had seven uncles who were really tough guys, just t- tough guys. And um, I had the... Con- the what, what I knew was my uncles cheating on my aunties. My aunties cheated on my uncles. There was abuse. Um, but it was normal for me. I, I didn't, I, I, I guess I knew it was wrong, but I was like, oh, that's just something people do. Um, I was, uh, I, as part of my race, me in the light skin, that really hit me because I wasn't a normal kid. And if you're a, a young kid and you're being told that you're not one of us, it really does something to your identity. And when you grow up in a small town, there's not much, there's not much for um, people to do. And so on your Friday night, you either drive an hour to go watch a movie or you can go watch a football game for four bucks with your whole family. And so lots of people come to the football games and basketball games, and I was pretty good at football, so a lot of people would start talking to me. And if you have a good game, you're in the newspaper on, you know, the following week. And so your name gets to be a little bit bigger. And so I was in, was, was in that situation. I was uh, 
I found a lot of worth in it. I found a lot of value in being, oh, that guy's pretty good at football. And I was going to go to Northern Arizona University to play football. And um, so I left my high school, went to college, and my, uh, I broke my arm. And everything I, I wanted to do, everything I was looking forward to do was just ripped away. Um, the money that I had as a part of football was, was taken away just because my injury, I wasn't going to be able to play football anymore. And so I was just lots of baggage and just being super confused, everything you, you ever wanted. And to me, I was 18 years old. I, mean, I don't care about football right now, but, I mean, back then, if you just take that away from me, you just took everything away from me. Every dream that I had was just ripped off. And so I'm like, all right, I don't even want to go to college anymore. And that was just my second day of college. And I was like, man, like, People had already purchased tickets to my first football game, and I was like, yeah, oh, you know, I don't know what to tell them. It's kind of embarrassing. I didn't want to go back home to my res because there was all these expectations, and I had to tell them that, oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be that guy you thought I was because my worth was all, all invested in that. Um, never mind all that. I, was, uh, I may have faced a, a level of depression. And so when I walked into this big gym where all these campus clubs had their tables up, I was walking around in there to see what, you know, what the campus was about. And this uh, six-foot, what I thought was a Navajo guy comes up and, and, and you know, tugs on my shirt. He wasn't, or never mind, I was going to say a bald joke, but I'm not going to do it. Um, and so he's like, hey, man, we got this Native American. He doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't sound like that. He's like, hey, we got this Native American club. You should come check it out. And so I was like, oh, he's a Navajo guy, you know, and, and, I'm not going to, never mind. Um, Apaches and Navajos, we don't always get along, so there's a lot of jokes that we have. But I would have to really explain myself and justify that joke. I'm not going to go that route. But, so I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. But I'll fill this card out so he leaves me alone. And the next day, he, he called me. I still know his number. It's uh, 928-221-3580. Like, that number just kept calling me, calling me like a, a, a car salesman. And finally, I was like, all right, I'll come check it out. So I, ra- I get a group of guys to come. Um, and it was weird because I was a, a football player. We, we, we have our own clique, and we're, we're the cool guys. Um, and I walked in that room, and there was like, yeah, I mean, they were like in the anime. And they were like, you know, just people who I would have or may not have pick, picked on in high school. And so when I was 18, I walked in, and it was like, oh, man, why? I guess, you know, why are they being so nice to me? It was weird. And uh, I enjoyed it. I liked it because it was authentic and it was genuine. And they were asking me questions. They were caring about me. Um, and it wasn't superficial. So uh, I just, you know, kind of kept going back. Um, I off, uh, Was I a Christian before? You know, I, it's a tough question for me to answer. I think I was. Um, I often say the greatest day of my life was March 23rd, 1989, when I was six months old. And that is when my mother gave her life to Christ. And she, I was a baby. I didn't know anything about it. But um, I grew up with a Christian mother, a uh, father who I, I don't think he believes in anything. Um, uh, maybe dr- drank alcohol more than he should have. And all the effects that that comes with on the family. I was around that. Um, so and my mother trying to be a Christian woman without anyone discipling her. Um, trying to honor this God that we, we all know so much about. She was just trying to figure it out. 
So she raised me, and I had like a similar faith where I was like, yeah, I, I, I believe in God. I, I actually love God. I believe in Jesus. Um, and I, anything you want to tell me about Jesus, I'll believe it. But I, I didn't know enough to ask questions. I didn't know enough to ask questions about the cross and whatnot. And so when I walked into that room, um, that gym, and John came out to me, and that was the, the start of uh, when I began to see um, what it was like to when I, I've the first time I I'll never forget the first time I went to John and Lana's house. He was nice to her, and he was helping her in the kitchen, and she was nice to him, and there was no fighting, yelling. It was it was it was it was weird for me, um, but that was the, a beginning of a healing process that God um, began to use in my life as by watching. Um, a godly man live his life. Uh, John didn't use any Christian lingo on me. He didn't use any of that uh, uh, Christianese, if you will. It was just very real, authentic. He met me where I was at, in the middle of all my sin. He just slowly discipled me. And I was just raised with a lot of um, I pr- pride was something you really you wanted to have. And so John just slowly, discreetly began to, to break that down with scripture and, and I'm praying with me, uh, meeting up with me. Um, so anyway, um, back to uh, um, when I met Lucy. I was so I was a very confused guy. By by no means was I uh, a godly man. I mean, by my salvation, I was. I'll tell you that. But other than that, I was still very young in my faith, and I, I had no idea um, what a man was supposed to do, how a man was supposed to pursue a woman, and so. Another piece that is very important, and I tell you this just so you can understand the context in which I come from, because this is not uncommon for um, where I come from, and you wonder why the suicide rate is so high, um, the alcoholism rate is so high. Uh, I was sexually abused when I was a kid, and so for me, I was uh, 21 years old. No one ever knew, and so I, how did I, I cover that? I, it was by going from girl to girl to girl to girl to prove my sexuality, to prove my masculinity, um, and I didn't, and so Lucy was sort of a, um, a victim of, of my, my pain, and she, um, we, she had got saved, we were not dating, but the secretism, I was used to it, so it was normal for me, the secrets, the sin, all of that, it was normal for me, but it was wrecking her heart. And she was the one who said, let's, let's break this up. And so for me, I had went, and I said, girl to girl. So after her, I went to, you know, I continued the pattern. And I felt this guilt, this pain. And so I went and told her. I knew I had to tell her. And I said, hey, you know, I, I messed up. I didn't keep our promise. And she was so brokenhearted. And for me, I, that, that was it. I was like, you know, me and Lucy are done. That's just, that's the way it works. Um, this is over. Let's get this over with. And then... <clears throat> She, she processed it, and she said, I forgive you. And for me, I was like, no, like, in my heart, I was like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. That's not the way, if this is over, this is done, you need to, to break it up with me. And so from that moment, that was the first glimpse that I had, like, wow, like, maybe God does forgive me for everything I, I have ever done. Um, and so that, it was, uh, that was uh, where... I was able to first see, uh, he taught, God taught me grace, and it's just been a, a powerful, powerful, powerful journey ever since. Um, we both serve on the leadership team at um, One Tribe NAU, and when John came up and asked me, he said, hey, I want you to start praying about um, 
taking over the, the college team. And I was like, what, dude? Like, have you not been here these last couple of years? Like, you, you got the wrong guy, man. And I just remember his, his response, and he's just saying, you let, well, let, you let God worry about that. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll pray about it. And, you know, here I am, and, and um, much of what our students are going through have, have gone through things that I've gone through and have gone through with things that Lucy has gone through. Um, and it's been a wonderful privilege to watch how God has worked in their lives the way he has worked in our lives. And it has been a wonderful story of redemption, and he continues to bring salvation and um, healing to our group. And so when you think about One Tribe, I beg you not to send pity, but I beg you to send praise because of what God has done on our behalf. And very excited to continue this journey um, with Thrive. And thank you, uh, Pastor Bobby. You can come up. I, I, I stopped looking at my clock, so very sorry. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool. I just want to thank you, Ethan, for making me a little emotional now, and um, we just hope that this it doesn't get worse than that right now. <laughs> um, uh, one cool thing about uh, Ethan is he, he got a new job. God's grace has um, been evident, and uh, one of the things that he'll be doing is he'll be directing um, one, one aspect of the program would be suicide prevention in northern Arizona, so I feel like uh, God has really... Um, been using and redeeming the things that have happened in his life to not only bless our church, but to bless our, uh, the students in the area uh, in northern Arizona. So we're really thankful and praising God for that. Uh, for those that don't know me, um, my name is Bob, and, or Bobby, if you've known me for a long time. And uh, my wife and I attended Harvest for about, it's been about nine to ten years since we first came to Harvest. Um, and uh, we actually, during that time, got married. And um, we actually asked Pastor Dave to sing in our wedding. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what happened and why it didn't happen that way. You know, I, I, not a solo, but to be part of a group. But, um, and, and then in, uh, in, in, in 2000, October 2011, uh, Angel and I, um, we moved to Flagstaff, Arizona to, to not necessarily be a part of one tribe, but, um, you know, God had other plans, and, and we uh, luckily and... and Thankfully, we're able to be a part of what God was doing at the campus of NAU. Um, my wife and I visit, we, we still have family here, so we uh, visit often, more often than John and Ethan will. Um, so uh, I won't spend a lot of time talking about us. We hopefully, in future visits, will be able to you got, uh, get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, but today, I want to share a little, uh, uh, some truth from a couple of verses that I feel like represent how we feel as a church leadership, when I say leadership, it's actually just me and John, because we were the only ones that talked about it <laughs> before coming out here, uh, how God was leading us in this direction, but, um, uh, and, and how, uh, how these verses encourage us as we continue to move forward as a church. Uh, so if we could um, turn to Philippians, or if, if we could have the slide come up, I'll just read this for us. Just a couple verses, Philippians 1.6, and then Philippians 3.12, and and I'll share a little bit more about how our church is doing and, and what's going on and how these verses relate to us. Okay. So I'll just start with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 first. Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you 
will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Uh, as John mentioned, when, the start, when we started to think about starting a church, um, there was some anxiousness, and uh, we had mixed feelings about it. And uh, we did have th- that moment of, like, well, who's going to pastor the church? Uh, as I was looking to him, and he was looking to me. And, um, and, then, and it's kind of like that Life cereal commercial. Have you ever seen that? These two brothers have to eat this bowl of cereal that's healthy. And they're like, I don't want to eat it. You eat it. I don't want to eat it. You eat it. And they're like, let's get Mikey, the younger brother. So we're like... Let's get Ethan, <laughs> the native guy. Um, so uh, that, uh, just a brief conversation. That was just a real short conversation, Ethan. Um, so, but, you know, what, one thing that John doesn't remember about the conversation with Pastor David is he actually went, John, you will be pastor. Um, and so it's, it's sort of kind of, it, was, it wasn't just a uh, uh, laying of a heart of what he, what he believed, but it, I, I believe it was a little bit of the, the Jedi mind trick. Um, so we were still anxious, uh, but we were excited. You know, we, we felt like God was moving us to start this church, and, um, and we, we created a church launch team, and there were 20, about 22 of us, and we, we, we got together, we prayed, uh, we learned, we planned, uh, and it was our hope that uh, these 22, uh, 22 of us would become the leaders and the volunteers of the, the various ministries that we felt like our church needed. Um, and we didn't have everything figured out. We didn't have a worship team leader or anything like that. And uh, we were actually going to play YouTube songs and, and sing praise along with YouTube. <laughs> um, you know, but wisdom once again prevailed, and, and we, we worked it out. And uh, so we had, you know, some of these great ideas like that. And, uh, and since, our la- uh, church launched, uh, since our church launched, uh, there have been about 10 out of the 22 that aren't serving in the church uh, that we had hoped and that we were excited about. And, you know, some of them, we knew that uh, this time was coming. Uh, Flagstaff is a very transient town. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's very hard to live there if you don't have a wonderful job, but there's not a lot of wonderful jobs available. And so uh, we knew that there would be some students that would be, who gra- after graduating, would be moving on to different jobs in different cities in Phoenix and, and other cities in, uh, in, in our area. And then we had, um, we knew also that there were some students that were going to have to go back home because their family needs were so great that they were always being asked to come back home. When are you coming home? When are you going to help the family? And so, so under that pressure, we knew that some of our people would have to go back home. Um, and then there were some other situations that uh, we were dealing with that, we, that were unforeseen. Um, some of the deep, painful wounds of our people's past were coming out because uh, in, in, it's this new phase of life of after having graduated college and trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do and, and even marriage. And, and so these dif- dif- different circumstances brought these pains from the past to life. And so it just kind of knocked them out. They had to take a step back and really deal with some of the things that were going on. And work situations, you heard uh, Armando and Rochelle's situation. Uh, Armando drives um, four to six hours one way to get to work, and then four to six hours back to be with his family for two days, and then goes back to work. And so these, it's, it's taken a toll uh, on, on not only our church, and you know, least of all, but on the families as well. And so it's been um, a challenge to, uh, 
um, see them in this pain. Uh, and, and we feel like, hey, church is going to be church, and it's okay, but to see our people in this pain is what's been really uh, overwhelming. And we love our people, you know, and, and we're thankful. Um, we're, we're thankful for them, and uh, we, we believe that God is doing an amazing thing. And so we have this hope. And so if we, if we can look at Paul's words again in chapter 1, because he says this, Paul's writing to the Philippians, a church that he started, a uh, great time for encouragement. He says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the, until the day of Christ Jesus. And exactly what Ethan is saying, it's not about where our people are at, but it's what God is doing in the midst of it and how he'll bring uh, us all out of it to be a blessing to the people around us in our community. You know, church is the people. I know that you guys know that. Um, it's, we know that, uh, that God will continue to not only save, but to sanctify, to strengthen, and so that on that glorious day when we're with Jesus Christ, that we can look back and, and give all praise and, and glory and honor to God. And because we look at Paul's uh, encouraging words, we can also look at Paul's example in chapter 3. And he says this in verse 12 once again, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And so if we look at these two verses, there's a couple of similar ideas that I want to just share. Um, One, if we look, we're not perfect yet, right? He says that, not that I've already become perfect or I'm already attaining to the full righteousness or the full glory that, that Christ has, be, has begun in him, has begun in him. And we also see in, in the uh, verse chapter 1 that it's also that God is perfecting. So there's this idea that we are not perfect yet. And then the second point is that we are laid hold of. So Paul in verse, chapter 3 verse 12 says he was laid hold of and he's striving towards that of which uh, Christ laid hold of him. And then uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, God began a good work. So there's this idea that God has started something in all of us as we come to Christ. And he's working it out in us. And we're not there yet. And I, I know you, we can all feel that, right? We're not there yet, but he's working in and through us. And so what, is the, what do we do? Well, this is what Paul says. He's pressing on. He's pressing on. And uh, pressing on, I, I think about, like, that guy, like, traveling through the winter or, or the wind tunnels of, of uh, Chicago, downtown Chicago, where you're kind of leaning forward and it's all blowing. And uh, my wife and I, uh, we started hiking uh, in, in Arizona because, in Flagstaff because that's what you do when you live there. Um, one of the things, my hobbies we picked up. And there's this one mountain, it's called Mount Eldon. And it's not the, it's not the highest uh, mountain in Flagstaff, but... It's one of the most steepest climbs, and um, man, and we're walking, and um, and it's getting harder and harder, and uh, there's like these switchbacks because it's so steep, it's going back and forth, and then once you get to one switchback, you're like, oh, we're almost there, and then you, you're climbing another five minutes, you're like, man, how, how much further? Because it doesn't seem like it's getting, getting closer, and many numerous times during that time, I'm thinking, man, I, I kind of want to quit. But I don't want to show that in front of my wife, right? And so I'm just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, journey through this and, and, uh, and, and muscle through this. And so this is, what, this is what Paul is saying. Look, life is not easy, right? 
Life is not easy, but guess what? I've got a hold of you, and there is this perfection at the end, and in the middle of it, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bring you there. So we, in response, say, well, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to press on. And it's not easy, right? It's, it's the idea that we're journeying on. And the cool thing about it is that uh, we have this church family to press on with, to walk alongside of us. And that's one of the, uh, the best things I love about um, what, what our church has become and, and sharing the pain. And I, and I, the, I love that um, God has created a culture within us to some degree of sharing uh, the openness of pain. And, and, and for Ethan to stand up here and, and just share of what has been part of his life, um, you know, that's an amazing, for me, that's amazing being part of a culture that we're trying to hide things. And, um, and it's through that, though, that I really feel like God is allowing us as brothers and sisters to come alongside of those who've been, um, who are hurting but are trying to see God in it and that we can walk alongside of them. So we press on, and, and not with the grit of determination, right, but that the, knowing, the, having the hope that God is true to his word, that he will bring to completion what he began so that uh, even in the struggle that God is glorified because God is working. And that's what Ethan was saying, right? And that God is glorified in the midst of it because God is working. And I'm so thankful for being able to um, be a part of that at One Tribe. And the cool thing is that um, I think we feel, we feel inspired, and, and it's, it does get weary at times. I'm not going to lie. And, but what's great is when, um, when we get visits, when we get phone calls, uh, from the pastors of Thrive, it really does encourage us. It strengthens us. Uh, it, it, it helps us to press on as pastors for our, our congregation um, to go that little extra mile. I think it's been great to have our wives encouraged by the wives of the pastors. I think that encourages them to encourage us uh, to press on as well. And so uh, I just want to leave us with a, a prayer request and and this wouldn't be, I think, not just a prayer request for One Tribe Church, but one for the Thrive Churches, uh, that we would be reminded of God's promises, um, that he is going to bring completion the work that he began in each, each and every one of us, right? And it's not even necessarily about the church and what the church does in, in the church form, but it's about the people and the individuals that make up the church. And to be able to hold on to that promise together, individually and together, that God is completing, that we would be there for one another, like you guys have been for us. And, and as John and Ethan have expressed, that we could be there for uh, Harvest and Emmanuel as well. Uh, so that we would, uh, as you pray for us, as you remember us, uh, will you help us, will you pray for us that we would remember God's promises and that we would be motivated and filled by that promise to press on, uh, to love our people well and that we as a church would grow into what God is completing in, uh, in us and working in us to be able to bless Northern Arizona and the Native community there. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.